The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Imin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Hey, this is Big Sean. Uh, Alex is finally back from his little trip to Florida, and we're back recording and getting what we have to get done. Um, tonight's episode is a, a deep dive into Wong Jockman and his effects on Bruce Lee and G. Kendall. I know all of you know the story, but maybe we have a little bit of a different take on it. So uh, sit back and enjoy. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your hosts, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey, hey, Alex, how are you, dude? Good, man. How are you doing? How's it been? Good, man. Good. It's good to be back. Yeah, so this is our first fresh new podcast of 2019. Uh, it's it's been a minute. We've both been busy over the holidays, and uh, yeah, I hope you I hope you had a good time. I I certainly had a good time. Did you do anything special over the holidays? Oh, just time with the family. You know, uh, Santa Claus was good to me as he always is, and uh, you know it went really well. You look all tan and refreshed. <laughs> Barely tan. <laughs> I avoid the sun while I'm in Florida, <laughs> but. <laughs> Santa Claus did bring us New Yorkers a good piece of news uh, over the holidays. I don't know if you read about this, but did you hear that the ban on nunchucks in New York State is finally lifted? Dude, that is the coolest thing in the world. I mean, the most the most useless weapon ever to fight with, which was like totally illegal in New York since 1974. They finally <laughs> overturned that ban. That's totally crazy. Right. See so how New York law works, and it's it's so very specific. They make a distinction between something called a dangerous instrument and a deadly weapon. So, whereas, and there's not many things listed as deadly weapons. They're very, very hyper-specific. Mm-hmm. So, like um, like with knives, uh, pocket knives, the knife has to be sharpened on both sides to be the stiletto it's for right. it to be a deadly weapon. Well, you can have an 18-inch machete and it's just a, de- it's a dangerous instrument. And, right. and, and, and that matters in, in, in the law as regards to, you know, what you're charged with if you ever had to use one. And now in, in New York City, uh, nunchucks were 
back in 19, would you say 74? Well, I think it's would, New York State. I think it's all the state of New York, just not, New, I don't think it's only New York City. I'm, I'm not sure which one it was, but yeah. they de- it was designated as a New York, as a uh, deadly weapon, uh-huh. which is just insane. Yeah, I mean, probably more perhaps deadly for the person using it right, than exactly, for the right. opponent. Well, I, I also heard, I mean, cause I, uh, they had a couple articles where they talked about it. Um, you know, this was way back in the day, in the heyday of Kung Fu movies. As a matter of fact, the law was passed in 1974, partially as a reaction to Bruce Lee's films. Because sure. Bruce Lee passed away. He used nunchucks in Enter the Dragon. And then shortly after that, they released his other films. And there was like this f- like fear that young kids were going to see this. And basically, they would be like roving Kung Fu gangs, terrorizing people with nunchucks. Right. So it it wasn't even based, I don't, from what I could tell, on like a number of incidents happening so much as it was a fear of there being a potential like wave in nunchuck gang kung fu violence. Well, you know, back then, New York City did have a little bit of a gang problem. You know, you know, um, there's that famous movie with the baseball players of. Coney Island, you know, uh, Warriors, oh, the Warriors, the Warriors. Warriors, yeah, of course. I mean, that was based on the gang culture in New York. I mean, it was, it, it, there was a gang problem in New York City, and, and, and New York City did do a lot of things, some say really stupid things, in an effort to uh, try and clean up this whole gang culture in New York right. City. And uh, one of the things was, so when they saw the nunchucks becoming popular, they like, well, let's nip this in the bud. And, you know, but I remember as a kid, you know, um, Everybody would go to the local hardware store and get like you know the two feet of wood dowel. dowel wood, like you dowel, get a dowel rod, right? And you'd buy like two eye hooks. Yes. And the eye hook, you know, screwed them into the top, and you get this little like four five inch piece of chain. Yeah. And you'd yep, make yep. and black tape. You'd always go. And as me as a kid, we used to always go to the um, the telephone company truck. There was always phone company trucks all around the city, and you'd run up to them and ask them for a roll of black tape and. You, you know, you'd roll, do the whole thing on the black tape, and you'd nearly kill yourself because as you're doing the nunchucks, the the, uh, the eye hooks would unscrew out of the dowels, <laughs> and you know the thing would go flying. And I remember See, the best set of nunchucks I had as a kid was um, my dad, who I don't remember, I don't remember to be a handy guy, had drilled a hole down the center of the dowel, and then like into the side. And, and then what he did was he put the chain down the center of the hole and then screwed it like into the side. And, ah. and, and it, it looked like these were like, these were the bomb. And I remember every neighborhood kid would like, those are fucking professional new jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh you know God, what's funny? Awesome. My, my dad, uh, who, um, who was an electrical engineer, my dad is quite handy. <laughs> He actually made me my first pair of nunchucks in almost the exact same way uh, you just talked about. We went to the hardware store. We got a dowel rod. He cut the dowel to the right size. He got a chain. He figured out some way to kind of fasten it. I think he put a swivel on there, which is almost like the actual ones. Right. And then I got a black electrical tape and then I put like and I put handles on it and I had like and the dowels were really light they were much lighter than actual wood chucks so I could like really fly right, with right, that right, thing right, right, right. and yeah it was amazing um but we actually didn't have that problem in New Jersey because nunchucks were legal in New Jersey so okay. we could go to there was a martial arts store in Hoboken it was called Champion Martial Arts and uh, I got like uh, my first pair of real nunchucks 
and I got the wood ones with the cord. And I actually like the ones with the cord better than the chain because they were much faster. Sure. And like the chain was always clunky and kind of noisy, right? Right. And right, like right. the but but like the the cord one was really fast and really slick. And, and the cord one always had the octagon. Uh, yeah, the octagon, the octagon wood, wood, right? Wood. Yeah. Yep. So I think it's kind of funny, like now, kind of thirty years past its expiration date, finally nunchucks are not illegal anymore in New York, right? It's so random. And the whole thing came about. I think it was some guy on Long Island who has his own self-created martial art based on nunchucks. And I guess he wanted to teach his son and he felt that it was like a violation of his rights that he couldn't teach his son some martial art that he had created. And, and I mean, I guess this dude had some money and it went to like the New York <coughs> State Supreme Court. Good for him. And it's always somebody like that who like decides to sure. make this his cause, right? And then like, right, sure. he's gonna get the nunchuck ban overturned. And then yeah, lo and behold now, um, so those of you who have hardcore nunchuck fetishes, you can roll into New York City now and not worry about a damn thing. <laughs> you know, it's funny, I still have like, I probably have four or five sets of nunchuck in, in this house somewhere. Yeah, me too. I have a feeling like in a box somewhere, I got it. Oh yeah, two, I right? mean, you know, it's like, you know, of course, always now I'm my I'm 53 years old so 25 years ago Asian world of martial arts on the um would always advertise in the magazines yeah and black belt and inside kung fu and, yeah right and so and and you used to try and get like you know the, the you used to be able to see the cool nunchucks but of course they wouldn't deliver to new york and it said not available in and like new and there was like a, a handful of other states where they right, were all right, like right. california or something like that but, right? but like that was i remember that was the first time me like saying oh wow like these are not homemade this is the bomb like this yeah is these like, are the you real know. ones right so we had a local martial arts store i won't say the name of the place because they're still in business and they would sell you nunchucks and uh, throwing stars, the uh, shurikens, yeah, from underneath the counter. Sure. If they if if they knew you. Yeah, if you, you know? were like so a regular, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like so, like I used to, I would be I would be in there all the time. So I remember one time, it's like I'd be in there all the time, and and I remember finally I walked, walked up to the counter one day, and I just said like, you know, I know they're illegal, but is there any way like you know like I can order or something? Like I was like, you know, sixteen or something. Sure. Uh, is there any way, I, you know, any way I can get a set of nunchucks? And I remember the owner looking at me saying, you going to tell anybody where you got them? And I remember now I'm from Brooklyn. So now I know, like, all right, something's going on, right? <laughs> and I'm like, no, if I got someone to sell it to me, I would not tell anybody where I got it. And he was like, all right, come with me in the back. The bathroom's in the back. And, and I was like, the bathroom's in the back? Okay. And he'd take me in the back. And that's he's the, like, right, that's the official cover story. I went to show him right. the bathroom, right? And he took me in the back, and he's like, "All right, here I have, I have nunchucks, I have star shurikens, I have." He had switchblades. He had all this all cool the, shit. Oh yeah, probably like the, oh, the, yeah. the hard kubaton with the the poker stick on it and everything. Right, right. But I mean, I remember, I remember the three things being impressed with the most was the the, the, the nunchucks, the shurikens, and the switchblades. Yeah. And he took me for every nickel I had. I oh, mean, it sure, was like, sure. and everything was like, you know, a couple bucks. Yeah, I think the nunchucks were like fifteen bucks. The Shurikens were like a dollar each, and Switchblades were like ten bucks each. Yeah, yeah. And you know, so I probably had like fifty bucks on me or something. Like, fuck it, give me yeah. everything. You know? <laughs> Take all my money. <laughs> I'm walking out of there with Switchblades, and I was like, oh, I was just awesome. Wow. Yeah, yeah. The old days, but now it's kind of funny. I mean, like, yeah, it makes sense. I can. I always wondered <clears throat> because, like, a fair amount of 
traditional um, karate schools or Okinawan schools, like some traditional martial arts schools. I mean, nunchucks is part of their traditional system. So I always sure. I always kind of wondered how those places got around that in, in New York, of course. Sometimes people ask me how we get away with teaching like bacham do because if you have like a nice solid set of real bacham do from like everything Wing Chun or whatever, I mean, technically I don't I don't know the legality of those kind of weapons. Um, they're not sharp, so I, I always believe that those kind of kung fu weapons that we practice with usually fall fall under the category of like stage weapons or something like that. Which right, is and there's always a, there's always a distinction in the law between a possession of and use of. Mm -hmm. So you know if you, if if not, not not that it makes it legal, but some if being being caught in possession of something is a lot different than being caught illegally using it. Right. 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 You know what I mean? So, yeah, you're not like brandishing the, the bachamdo right. on the subway or something. You're not on Sixth Avenue going after a guy with with your bachamdo. You know what I mean? So, right. But I also I also wonder about stuff like the Wing Chun long poles, which are like huge and cumbersome, right? Because I have, on a number of occasions, um, brought the Wing Chun long poles on the New York subway. <laughs> Like, if we had to do a demonstration, like, in Union Square, like, back in the day, like, me and, like, three of my students, we'd, like, take the log poles from my school down the stairs into the subway. And, by the way, those things don't go straight up and down into the subway. You got to, like, go in at an angle. And, <laughs> and they're, they're too tall for the subway ceiling. So you have to actually hold them diagonally in there. And you walk in with those things and, like – Half the people in there don't know what you're looking at. And I don't know if I told this story before. I think I might have. But one time I went to do a photo shoot for a Wing Chun Illustrated magazine with the long pole. And we wanted to take photos in Central Park. Because you can imagine Central Park looks nice. I got the long poles in the park and everything. It's kind of nice, right? So my school is in Midtown. So I, I, bring, the, I bring the pole in, into the subway uh, at 42nd Street. And then just need to go up a few stages stations to like... Uh, Columbus Circle to get off at the corner of Central Park. And I have this this huge-ass long pole diagonally there. I'm with my photographer. And this sweet older lady is sitting down across from me. And she's like, oh, that's a very long piece of wood you have there. Like, in this kind of old-timey way, right? Like, 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 oh, what is that piece of wood for? <laughs> And I remember, because I didn't want to say, because there are other people listening, I didn't want to say, um, it's a martial arts weapon, right? All right. I go, I told her it was a, uh, um, a curtain rod, a dowel rod. <laughs> and she goes, oh, that's a very big window you must have. And she goes, that's so funny. Do you live in the city? And I go, yeah, I live in the city. She goes, what kind of apartment do you have that has such big windows in the city? <laughs> and then it's kind of like what started as a white lie to like not admit that I had a weapon. Now I basically have to lie about the size of the windows in my apartment to, to stick with this story that I started with. And she's like, where do you live? I'm like, uh, Central Park, I'm on my way home. <laughs> and, and it's like, she's like, oh, you must have a beautiful apartment. And I'm just sitting there going like, I, this is a number of years ago. It's like, my God, I live in a shoebox in Queens. <laughs> this is like five times the size of any window in my apartment. But I had to like keep lying to keep up this facade to not admit that I'm I'm traveling with a kung fu weapon on the subway. Oh, that's so, also, I'm I'm gonna tell a story I've never told 
and I probably shouldn't tell. That's okay. You should totally but, um, tell it. It's so fucking New York. It's so 1970s New York. It's just... And anybody from 1970s New York will recognize this story. So, as a kid, I wanted to buy samurai swords. Typical, typical wish list for kids. Right? So, I wanted samurai swords, and I saved them my money. And this is probably, like, 1978, something like that. Maybe it's probably, like, 82, maybe 81, 82, somewhere around there. And I wanted samurai swords so bad. And I saved my money for samurai swords. I didn't even have a car, but I had to have these fucking samurai swords, right? So I was probably I was too young for a car, and I remember I finally saved up the money, and you know, it was like two hundred and fifty bucks or something for the the complete set of the swords, right? The okay. long sword, the middle sword. And oh the right, knife, right. You know? the, the one that comes with three in the wall rack, right? Right, right. Yeah. You know, so and it was like two hundred and fifty bucks or something. So, gospel true story. I had a very good friend of mine who I am still friends with to this day, and he was always like the toughest kid on the block. He was always in trouble, and he was one of the toughest kid I knew. And I said to him, I'm not even going to say his name. I'm like, hey, listen, dude, I'm going to go buy, I have to go take the bus to go buy these samurai swords. Can you come with me? Because I have all this money on me. You know, and he's like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll go with you, you know. So I was so nervous on the bus because I got $250 on me, you know. This is on a bus in Brooklyn back in the old days where that was dangerous, you know. Sure. So we get to the store. And, you know, no incidents whatsoever. Get to the store. I go, we buy the swords. And now I'm like a fucking kid on Christmas, right? I finally got my swords. I can't wait to get home to play with my sword. I, I didn't even know what I was going to do with the freaking things, but I had to have these swords. So my friend of them is going, oh, those are really cool. Let me check them out. I'm like, we're on the bus, man. We can't, like, check them out on the bus, you know? <laughs> so he, like, it used to, they came wrapped in, like, these silk wrappers, so I remember him like untying the silk wrapper on the long one and like dropping down the silk wrapper so you could see the handle and him like popping the sword a little bit out of the thing. Uh-huh. Well, the second he does this, these two or three guys come over and they're like, what are those? So I'm like, oh, those are my <coughs> swords. Oh, you're schmuck, right? No, those are my swords. Anyway, so I, I, I'm going to say I'm 16 at the time. Uh-huh. And, like, I remember, like, these guys were, like, maybe early 20s. Like, you know, they were, like, these, in my mind, they were men, you know? Right, sure. <clears throat> and gospel true story, they start saying, well, those are illegal. We're going to take them away from you. And I remember saying, like, well, I just, I just spent a lot of money on them. You can't take them from me. I mean, you know, and they like, and you could tell, like, these guys were just assholes. They were just were shaking steal, me down a bit. They were going to steal the swords. <clears throat> right. So I'm, I, I kind of like forgot that my friend is sitting next to me and I see him kind of sliding away, sliding away, sliding away. And in my head, I'm saying this fucking motherfucker is now going to let me get robbed. I, I brought you for a reason. You're the toughest kid I know. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and gospel true story. And I'm almost getting ready now. Again, I'm 16. But, by the way, how, how old is how old is your tough guy friend? Is he same age as you? Or same what? age as oh, Okay, okay. <clears throat> So I'm saying to myself, like, I'm getting so upset. I know if I throw a punch, I'm going to get my ass kicked. Because uh-huh. these are men. You right. know what I mean? Right. And I'm like, should I pull the sword out? I did not. Right. Because that gets serious. There's no I, turning back well, from that. Talk about get serious. I said, listen, I'm not giving you the swords. 
So they're like, well, if you don't give us the swords, we're going to call the cops, and they're going to come take your swords. And out of nowhere, I swear to God, hand on a Bible, my buddy stands up, moves his jacket, takes out a gun, <laughs> and points the gun at this guy's face. It says, go ahead, take your sword, motherfucker. Holy shit. Wow. Wow. And now I'm ready to urinate on myself. <laughs> So I didn't want to make sure we didn't get mugged. You know? Holy cow. Oh, God. This was Brooklyn in the late 70s. Holy it was like, cow. Well, that's some Wild West stuff there. I man. couldn't believe it. And these guys fucking ran, man. They got, they oh, were, I'm sure. I'm sure. They were running off the bus. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was just awesome. Man, of course, we had to get off the bus because we were afraid the bus driver was going to use his radio to call the police. Yeah, no kidding. You know, my wow, that is, that is so New York, man. That is crazy. It was just awesome, man. It was just... It was Brooklyn... <clears throat> 1970s it was just it was just an awesome place to live wow <laughs> i couldn't believe him i'll never forget like i think it was like not the first time i've seen a gun because i always grew up around guns but like, i think it was the first time i ever saw a gun pulled in anger yeah sure sure like this is a situation guns. oh my, right oh, my now, uncles yeah. were cops and we were shooting guns since we we're kids you know in my grandfather's basement no less <laughs> but but i i think it was the first time i ever saw a gun pulled in anger and I remember my friend standing up, like pulling out his gun, sticking in the guy's face. Yeah, go ahead, take the sword, motherfucker. And I was like, "Oh wow, life is gonna change for all of us right wow. now." Wow, <laughs> wow, that is crazy. That is crazy. I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but that's a that was a. <clears throat> you know, it's funny because a lot of people have actually written into the dudes of Kung Fu uh, Facebook page saying that you know they like hearing the old stories. So. That's about that's about old that's about as old you know in Brooklyn as you're gonna get. Yeah, I mean, I think to... New York is also like a very unique place culturally because it has a deep martial arts culture from like you know from the '60s from karate and kung fu and all like the dojo wars and kung fu wars. But also, we just have such an insane history of gangs and gang violence and weapons and just and New oh, York yeah. is the kind of place where like. Everything that's insane that's ever happened, we've had it happen at least twice in New York and right, probably exactly a lot right. more than that. You know, it's like anytime people from elsewhere try to impress me with stories about how crazy their city is, it's like, dude, hold my beer. If you haven't experienced right. a crazy story yourself, if you grew up in New York, you know somebody who did something that can top anything from anywhere else like that's ever happened, right? Like, it's really, really a wild, crazy place to live. I, I remember someone saying to me, I, I remember Lori and I running in, Lori's my wife, by the way, guys. I remember it was running, running into somebody that was not from New York. It was either on a cruise or something. And, and me saying, like, oh, we moved from Brooklyn to Staten Island. And them saying, oh, is Staten Island better than Brooklyn? And, and I'm saying it's, you know, it's a, it's a different lifestyle, yes. different atmosphere. And like, oh, well, what made you move? And I'm like, oh, well, one day we were laying in bed and someone was <laughs> fucking murdered. In front of our house in Brooklyn. So we said, you know, maybe we should get out of here. <laughs> how's, that for a re- how's that for a reason to move? <laughs> I don't forget, they, they shot this dude three times in front of the house. And me, my, because my brother lived downstairs from me, and my mom lived upstairs. So I remember laying in bed, right in bed with my wife, and I hear bang, bang, bang. So I remember I grabbed the phone, 
And I hear my mother running around upstairs. And I remember grabbing the phone. I call my brother downstairs. He answered the phone. I'm like, you okay? He says, yeah, you okay? He goes, you hear from mom? I said, I hear mom walking around. He goes, all right, I'm going back to bed. Fuck it, you know? So we're laying in bed. Now we hear all the police sirens and everything. So I go outside. And my, and my brother comes outside. And, and the guy's body's laying there. And, and I remember the detectives come walking over to us. And my brother goes to the guy, the detective. Did they, hear, did they say, what happened? So the detective says, well, they're saying it was a suicide. So my brother goes, well, there was three shots. <laughs> and the detective goes, yo, there's a couple of holes in this story. <laughs> so great. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know the wife. I'm like, we got to move. <laughs> it's time to get out of Brooklyn. <laughs> it was time. What are you going to do? Anyway, sorry, folks. I'm going to move to tell some old stories. <laughs> Uh, speaking of old stories, so uh, Wong Jack Man just passed away, which is kind of yeah. uh, kind of an interesting uh, interesting footnote in the story of Bruce Lee. Um, also interesting because uh, if, for those who are listening who don't know who Wong Jack Man is, Wong Jack Man is the kung fu practitioner um, whom Bruce Lee had a famous challenge match or duel in Oakland in the early to mid '60s, um, which you know was not really controversial in, in, in any sense until after Bruce Lee passed away and Wong Jack Man decided to, that once Bruce Lee had passed away, his recollection of events had dramatically changed. Um, right. But, um, you know, the only controversy from Bruce Lee's end himself is that he, he was upset that he didn't finish the guy off quicker. And, um, of course, many people talk about that fight between Bruce Lee and Wong Jack Man being kind of the catalyst for Bruce Lee to focus more on physical conditioning because essentially um, Wong Jack Man ran away from Bruce Lee for three minutes and Bruce had to chase him like a maniac throughout his Oakland school and, you know, wish that he had figured out a way to dispatch somebody who's running away from you a little bit quicker. And um, Wong Jack Man, <clears throat> of course, was also the uh, one of the subjects of that recent uh, Birth of the Dragon film that came out uh, a couple years ago. Uh, with Philip M, where they kind of retell the story about Bruce Lee's challenge fight with Wong Jack Man, but told, re dramatically retold with uh, um, n none of the actual facts of the real story present. Right. It was kind of like a, uh, a, a melodramatic reimagination of, you know, Wong Jack Man being some kind of benevolent Shaolin monk and Bruce Lee becoming some kind of quasi movie star street punk. And then, I don't know, the, the two of them eventually team up and I don't know solve crimes like some bad buddy sitcom or something like that so wonder twin powers actually yeah exactly and um and wong jack man remained relatively low profile although he was actually at the premiere of birth of the dragon a couple of years ago and he actually looked like he was in in pretty good like physical shape like he didn't look like he was dying of anything but uh yeah i mean he passed away suddenly uh, i guess a week or two ago uh, it was end of december beginning of january i don't really remember um, and that's yeah, kind of interesting yeah. because he is he is kind of a bit of a footnote on the Bruce Lee story. And now, I mean, I guess we're never really going to know one hundred percent the true story of what happened back then. I mean, we all know legends are told and retold, and it's like yeah. a game of telephone over and over and over again. And each side has, you know, quote unquote evidence that their story is true, and um, who you know who won the fight. And you know, I know like uh, the Wong Jackman's people say that the the uh, the story of um, him fighting Bruce Lee because Bruce Lee was teaching uh, non Asians 
is just untrue that Wong Jackman himself was teaching non-Asians. At that yeah, point. well, well, we know that the, that 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 story is not true. I, mean, I don't think that's right. been in in question at all. So I, you know, who knows the whole thing? And and honestly, you know, I mean, I've seen not so much lately, but years ago in the early part of the internet, used to see like JKD people and Wong Jackman people have arguments on um, discussion forums. Yes. As to who actually won the fight. Right. And it wasn't until later on in life that I realized that who gives a shit. Yeah, I mean, I think... Because it really, like you said, it was the catalyst for Jeet Kune Do. So whether Bruce Lee won or lost the fight, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It it drove him to do something better. For sure. And I I think that's probably the healthiest way to look at it, the way you're framing it right now. The problem is, for me, uh, I, um, I, I, I like... To I like the way you frame it, where it's like, okay, what's the bigger, the bigger picture, the message? What is the important lesson that came out of all of this? I think we always need to look at that, right? Because a lot of times, the lessons we learn from events are more important than the details of the events themselves, right? But right. that's one part of me. That's like what I call the bigger picture, Alex. But then there's also the petty Alex, which lives in my ego and wants to know the truth. Even if the truth is Bruce Lee lost or Bruce Lee won, whatever, like, I, I want to know. And, and being that I've read, like, you know, in Letters of the Dragon, you see Bruce Lee's private letters to his students that he wrote and how he kind of how he references it, how other people talked about it, what was said at the time versus what was changed. And the one thing that tends to make me obviously favor Bruce Lee more besides the fact, you know, it's very easy for people to say that I'm biased towards Bruce Lee and they have a very good point there. But I can also tell you from what Bruce Lee wrote about the event over the course of years, he was very consistent. He was consistent about that. It took longer than it should. He was consistent about, I mean, he called Wong Jack man, the runner and he called him the runner till his dying days right and he called him the runner to people who were also there at the fight the right. the reason why i'm more partial to bruce lee is that wong jack man's story changed multiple times the story that wong jack man told in the newspaper when bruce lee was out of town the story and the thing is i know chinese kung fu sifus in san francisco non-wing chun sifus of other styles who knew wong jack man and I have heard from two of them who are very close friends with Wong Jack Man. And guess what? Each one of them believed that Wong Jack Man beat up Bruce Lee because Wong Jack Man told them. And guess what? Each one had a different story of what Wong Jack Man told them. But like right. very different. And these are people who knew Wong Jack Man. You know, one story from a very famous Sifu was that actually I just heard two years ago when I was in San Francisco. Wong Jack Man comes to Bruce Lee's school. They shake hands. While they're shaking hands, Bruce Lee sucker punches Wong Jack Man. So that was one Wong Jack Man story. And then right. he told another Sifu that I know that they squared off face to face and Wong Jack Man overwhelmed Bruce Lee with his northern Shaolin. So it's like, well, which one is it, right? And then the story, Wong Jack Man's story and student story changed so much, whereas Bruce Lee's story remained consistent. And that is the reason why I tend to not believe it. Also, if you look at it on paper, which I know is kind of the worst way to look at it, because we know that from MMA fights, where you look at two MMA fighters, 
put them down on paper and you go, this guy should win and you put them in the ring and it's not at all what you expect, right? So, you know, they call it, Joe Rogan calls it like MMA math. You know, like this guy beat right. this guy and this guy lost to this guy. So therefore, this guy should beat up this guy. And it's never the case because it's always about stylistic matchups. Bruce Lee was somebody who had a relatively fair amount of street fights because he was he was a punk in Hong Kong before he learned Wing Chun. Then when he learned Wing Chun, he had a relative number of street fights. <laughs> then while he was in Seattle, he had a number of of fights according and and especially that very famous fight against the Japanese karate expert who Bruce Lee obliterated um even uh, according to many even according to some of the students of that karate fighter right <coughs> and then Wong Jack man I'm sorry practiced essentially a because in Chinese kung fu you have kung fu styles that practice practical fighting and do sanda and sparring and fighting and like wing chun they had latsao and chi sao and a lot of interactive stuff and you have styles that just do a lot of forms and from what i understood wong jack man was practicing essentially nothing but the generic jing wu forms and i don't see how somebody who essentially practice a lot of form you know wong jack man's famous thing was doing the splits between the two chairs all right which I'm like, that's an awesome skill. Um, Wait, Jean-Claude Van Damme didn't invent that? No, Jean-Claude Van Damme didn't invent it. He must have copied Wong Jack Man, right? <laughs> and so, um, and so I, I don't see how somebody who does a mostly forms-based martial art with very little real fighting interaction that's not choreographed um, handily beats somebody who is a seasoned street fighter and also had knowledge of very kind of street-ready Wing Chun. I just don't see it. And so, um, but again, <clears throat> that's just on paper. But everything that Bruce Lee said about it afterwards, what his students said about it, um, is consistent. And Wong Jack Man's story is like, if you don't like Wong Jack Man's story, just wait 10 minutes, it'll change kind of thing, right? And that's Ouch. where I start to go, I don't know if I believe it. And people can accuse me of being biased towards Bruce Lee, and I'll agree with them. But you can also look at the facts, and I don't think the facts go in Wong Jack Man's favor. And I don't like the fact that it's like, well, uh, he's a very respected Sifu and, you know, he's aged and he's passed away and we need to respect him. I mean, I'm sure his students respect him and rightly so. I don't necessarily respect somebody that I believe lied openly about something that if, if he just admitted he lost to Bruce Lee, I don't see what the big deal was. <laughs> Get in line. You know what I mean? Like lots of people lost to Bruce Lee and, and it's, you know... One should say, if you had the balls to challenge Bruce Lee and fight him and lose, I don't see what the shame in that is. It's like you challenge John Jones and fight him fair and square and lose. You're not any less of a man. <laughs> you, right. you, you know what I mean? Like, like this idea that if you lose, it somehow means you're less than something. Anybody who fights for real or has real martial arts experience has also faced loss at some point. And sure. Bruce Lee is also open about the times when he was younger and, and had lost or Bruce Lee was also open about the fact that he didn't think he could beat Muhammad Ali. He talked about that in a fam very famous interview. I mean, this is somebody who has a fair grasp about what he's able to do and not able to do. Somebody who says that they're invincible is somebody who's either been un has been unbeaten until that point or it's somebody <coughs> who doesn't actually have a lot of fighting experience. Right. And so I, I, I just have a really hard time swallowing it. So I, I put out on Twitter when Wong Jack Man passed away last week. I go, 
I'm really ambivalent about his passing. It's very difficult for me to feel one way or another. Obviously, I'm not happy that he passed away. I mean, you know, people pass away. It's an unfortunate thing. It's unfortunate for his students, unfortunate for his family. But in terms of legacy, I don't go like, oh, the Chinese martial arts world lost something great. I'm not even sure what his contribution to the Chinese martial arts community has been in America in general. I don't know that it's really been as big as other people like Taim or uh, Tatma Wong or other people who I feel have done far more for the traditional Chinese community than Wong Jack Man. I mean, uh, Wong Jack Man, you, you say his name and the association is immediately some dude who lost to a fight against Bruce Lee. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I just feel very ambivalent about his legacy. I don't know about you. Well, you know, me, I don't give a shit one way or another. Yes. But I mean, you know, I I, 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 I just, you know, listen, he's a martial artist. He's a famous martial artist. Uh, I don't know, but he's died. He, how, uh, had he not fought Bruce Lee? What? See, it's, for me, it's always like, um, I always look at people's individual contributions, right? Like, um, for example, like, uh, let's say uh, I, I have a student, like, who was an instructor in my school, and he had a school. And uh, he left my association, right? And that's totally fine. Like, I, I didn't do what a lot of Wing Chun associations do, which is that badmouth the guy who left you or whatever. I mean, if somebody wants to leave me because they, they feel they can do better without me or, or they don't like, I don't know how right. I treat them, whatever. I mean, it's fine. I don't care. I'm not going to write an open statement, do like what Leung Tang does to all of his ex-students right, right, and right. say, oh, this guy didn't learn anything from me. It's like, well, why did he have a school, right? Um, I, just, I just didn't care. Right. It was like, OK, well, he left. It's not like I'm starving or something like that. Right. But the thing for me is secretly I would be kind of proud if that student who left me, even if they wanted nothing to do with me, decided to do something big in Wing Chun and made a name on their own. In other words, they contributed something to the conversation. They contributed something to the Wing Chun community. They wrote articles. They became right. a YouTube sensation. They did something like they stood on their own, right? Mm -hmm. And what I've seen was like with this one student in particular is in the years that they left me, they did nothing. So I go, mm, okay, well, no one is stopping them from adding to the conversation, right? But they haven't right. added to the conversation. So I go, given the chance to stand on their own two feet, they did nothing, right? So I go, without Bruce Lee's fight, what, what did Wong Jack Man uh, contribute to the Chinese martial arts community? Besides, see, look, teaching your own students and affecting the lives of those who learn from you personally is great. But if we're looking at what is the net gain to the martial arts community, all right? Like you look at somebody like Joe Lewis, right? Um, the, the karate expert, right? <laughs> Outside right. of his of what he did in the ring, Joe Lewis taught a lot of seminars. He helped a lot of people. He contributed a lot to the conversation, wrote articles, wrote books, did videos. Joe Lewis accomplished a lot in the martial arts. Chuck Norris accomplished a lot in the martial arts. And Chuck Norris could have stopped after Bruce Lee died and he did Way of the Dragon. But Chuck Norris stood on his own two feet and became his own man, right? So I go right. like in the Chinese martial arts community, I don't, I don't, and I'm a Kung Fu geek. I don't, I, I don't hear Wong Jack Man in the conversation about anything besides the fact that he once had a fight with Bruce Lee. But there are other right. famous Sifus in other styles who they're not even Wing Chun Sifus, but I know their name. Why? 
because they contribute to the conversation. They contribute to the community. They've done stuff. They've built stuff. They're interesting. And 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 I, I'm sorry if if he had never challenged Bruce Lee, all right, or never fought Bruce Lee, I don't think we would have ever heard of him. Right, right, right. And so that that's kind of my thing. And I go, I'm sorry if that makes people upset because he just passed away or they feel like I'm being disrespectful or whatever. Um, you know, my condolences to his family and, and his students and all that. I mean, for example, it, it's horrible. But the thing is, I didn't know him. I'm only sitting here looking at what he did. He had an ever-changing story about a fight that he more than likely did not win. And <clears throat> I, don't, I don't see what he did to increase the cause of Chinese martial arts in America. So unless you say that he was the catalyst for Bruce Lee doing what he did, and Bruce Lee was then the real catalyst for Chinese Kung Fu in America, you can maybe make that <laughs> argument, but I don't know how directly that would mean that his influence would have been if that's your argument, right? So anyway, I, I, I don't I mean, know. I don't, mean, know, I don't mean to dump on any Wong Jack Man fans, but... Uh, right, exactly. I mean, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to shit on Wong Jack Man because his, his Kung Fu family and his real family is still in mourning. Yes. I will. I don't. I do never. I don't say that Wong Jack Man was the catalyst of Jeet Kune Do. Um, I don't think so I think, either. I think that is right. a bit overstated. In hindsight, they made that the story. Right. Well, I think. Well, because Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee credits that fight with him realizing he needed to make changes in his own personal fighting system. Mm-hmm. And people that are fans of Wong Jack Man seem to take Bruce Lee. Crediting that fight and rolling with it as if Bruce Lee credited Wong Jacquemin as like Bruce, it, it, they take Bruce Lee saying that fight made me create Jeet Kune Do as them saying they take that as Bruce Lee as if Bruce Lee had said, oh, me having to fight Wong Jacquemin and all of his skill had made me have to create something better than what I was doing because I couldn't beat Wong Jacquemin. Right. When it when that's just in fact it was the exact opposite. It was Bruce Lee complaining that Wong Jockman ran like a bitch. Yes. And that he needed more cardio. Right. You know, so it was it's so I I, I, I didn't want to go into this bad mouthing Wong Jockman at all. They want that idea. But I just I think you can't you can't credit you can't credit Wong Jockman with 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 being the catalyst of the creation of Jeet Do. You can credit the fight as the, the time Bruce Lee used the realization that he needed to change what he was doing. And, I, and I'm very, you know, like, like I know myself one time, uh, one of my students a long time ago, this is when I was still living in Brooklyn, he was a wrestler. And we were doing some. We were I remember, some I remember this story, right? You know what I mean? So, like, I can sit here and say, him taking me down was the catalyst for me wanting to work on grappling. Right. But he wasn't the catalyst. Yeah. He didn't become my wrestling guru and, you know what I mean? I mean, I was a wrestler anyway, but like, it wasn't like, like him, the, the student, was the catalyst. It was the action that he took there right. of me dumping, being dumped. That was the catalyst for me saying, I have to work on this. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I once had a, another student, I know I've told this story also, um, a student, a guy showing up in Brooklyn and saying that he wanted to, um, you know, see what we were doing and we were working some knife stuff and we were doing some toppy toppy knife drills, these Kali knife drills and him looking and saying, wow, it's really interesting. 
And it said, listen, I'm, but it's not what I'm looking for, thanks. And I remember saying to the guy, like, well, oh, what's the problem? Like, you, you didn't like what you saw? And he said, well, he goes, oh, no. He goes, he goes what, what you were doing was great for that, though, that type of drills, I guess. He goes, but that's not how. He goes, I just got out of Rikers Island. And he goes, yeah, give me one of those, you know, fake knives. And I hand it to him, and he just takes me, and with his other hand, grabs me right behind my neck, and stabbed me in my belly like 20 times uh, in, under, on, in under 10 seconds. Right. He goes, that's how someone kills you on Rikers Island. Yeah. He goes, so none of those shows would help me with that. Right. Is he, <laughs> so is he planning on say, going back to Rikers Island? <laughs> well, that's why he was coming for lessons, because he was going back to Rikers Holy Island. Holy shit. So, <clears throat> and I remember saying, like, I remember, like, having to, like, sit down that night and saying to myself, like, holy shit, like, what I'm doing doesn't work. Right. Like, I don't even know, like, where do I go from here? Right. Like, it wasn't as if this guy sat there and said, oh, no, this is what you should be doing. He just said, here, look look how crappy what you're doing actually is. Right. That's crap. Right. So, again, like, that guy wasn't the catalyst of change in my weapons training, but the actions he took was. Yes. You know, so I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, you know, whatever his name was changed my martial arts life. Sure. <clears throat> no, someone who was in jail grabbing me by the back of my neck and hit me with a fake knife in a training situation was what opened my eyes. You know what I mean? Well, I, I also think for people who don't really have a lot of practical fighting experience, either they, they do a lot of forms or maybe like a lot of their um, sparring training is either completely cooperative or it's choreographed, I think they tend <coughs> to look at fighting as like one person wins and one person loses. And they don't realize that you could still win and be disappointed with your performance, right? Because if you're a perfectionist, you know, like you can imagine how many times uh, an MMA fighter who was a champion went in the ring, won, but was still disappointed at certain aspects in their performance and decided that that person, even that person that they had beaten was going to be, uh, they were going to use that experience to never let that happen again, right? And so, uh, so they always have this idea that the only reason somebody would be introspective about their fight is if they lost, you know? And it's like, yeah, well, right. we all know that we learn more from our losses than we do from our victories. But we can also have disappointing victories, you know? And right, so, sure. like, I know that there's times, like, um, <laughs> you know, like, I'm very big into peak performance. So that's why I make sure, like, every morning I have a routine. I make sure that I do my morning exercises because if I do my morning exercises, my nervous system is geared for movement. So if I have an early morning private lesson, I'm already ready to move. If I like rolled out of bed and had breakfast and coffee and didn't do any exercise and just took the train to the school and went and taught somebody, I would I could probably teach a good lesson because I just go on autopilot. But I would feel physically that I was like off because I need to like wake up my nervous system. Right. Right. But there have been moments like before I came to that realization where I was doing, you know, some cheese or some light sparring with a student. And then maybe they, you know, they decide to like throw a hook at me out of nowhere in the middle of and, and I defend it. And, and, you know, and I show them, hey, man, you, you, you little SOB, why are you trying to kill me? Right. Kind of thing. Right. And I defend it. 
But I do it in a way where I just go like, oh, man, that was by the skin of my teeth because I wasn't paying attention, right? Or I go like, you know, I really was not in peak performance. And yeah, I defended the swing that my student gave me out of nowhere. But like, I had to use a little bit more strength than I wanted to. I had to like, I did it in a way where like, I wasn't completely satisfied. And then you take that and you make sure that you improve off of that. It's not just the times in training where I wasn't successful. I mean, you, we can, as martial artists, you should constantly critique your performance, even if you were quote unquote successful, because there's always something you can do better. And Bruce Lee's admission that that fight had some effect on him is not an admission that he lost. You know, and, and, and so it, it just seems that they have kind of kind of spun it in that kind of way. And I feel it's a bit um, disingenuous, you know. Absolutely. Listen, just to riff off something you just said. Um, I've been working out before work in the morning. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> and a thing I noticed and I've noticed this before and I don't know why my fat ass can't remember this, but like. I've noticed, I, I, so basically for, for people that don't know, I work for a Wall Street firm. I work on computers all day with spreadsheets, really exciting stuff. And um, I've noticed on mornings that I work out before work, I think with a clarity. Yes. That I don't have on mornings I don't work Absolutely. Out. Absolutely. And it's so funny because like, Literally the other day, I had a, I knew I had to work on this, this spreadsheet to get something done, and I was like, I woke up that morning and I was like, ah, I just don't feel like working out today. Maybe I'll work out after work, and I remembered that I had to work on that spreadsheet, and I said, you know what? Let me work out because I know I'm going to be able to think better right. with the workout done. Yeah, and again, I don't know if it just wakes up your nerves. I don't. I don't know if it's a. I, I don't know the chemical reasons for yes, it. Yes, yes. But I can tell you for myself that on mornings that I work out with my wife before going to work in the morning, I think better. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, there's, a, there's definitely a clarity. Like there, on mornings I don't work out before work, I'm driving through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel and I feel like I'm ready to fall back to sleep. Yeah, yeah. And on mornings I work out, I'm fucking wide awake. Yeah. Yeah, I make sure every morning, even if I don't have like a... I try to, I mean, I have a, I have a very different lifestyle than you do because I, I don't have a nine to five job. So I have, I have time during the day and I do martial arts for a living. So it, it's like, if, if I tell people what my schedule is, it's not like, oh, you need to be doing what I'm doing. I can do what I do because I do this professionally, right? If you, if I had a normal right. nine to five job, uh, the setup would be a lot different, but like I, <clears throat> I do like usually two workouts a day. But but that's nothing like I'm not like an MMA fighter, two, three workouts a day, like just hardcore. I have like and sometimes I do three workouts a day. But what I do is I do like smaller little workouts, but kind of spread out throughout the day because I find right. one rather than just exhausting myself. Right. And then being too tired to continue. If I do these little workouts throughout the day, it keeps like if I, it keeps my mind clear, like I'm better at handling like everyday stuff i'm better at making decisions because it keeps your mind because it's almost like exercising is very meditative and you can kind of clear your head a little bit but regardless every morning doesn't matter what my schedule is that day i do like a little morning routine where i just wake up and like you know I stretch my shoulders and i do a couple knee bends and a couple twists and and i'll hang on the pull-up bar and i'll just kind of like hold and and just like a couple basic things where like a head-to-toe warm-up 
even before I take my kids to school. And that right. makes all the difference in the world. It takes me five minutes. And like, you know, I just kind of hang and move, do one or two push-ups, a couple squats, jump up, move my shoulders, move my elbows, move my wrists, lay on the floor and kind of do some neck exercises and stuff. And then I'm ready to go. And that's kind of like my morning wake up. And if I don't do that, uh, it's, it's just as bad as if I don't have coffee. right? And then I do what I call uh, GPP, which is general uh, physical preparation, physical prepare, which right. is not which is not like martial arts specific. It's stuff like knee bends and pull ups and, um, you know, like push ups. And I have the base blocks thing where I'm trying to like. Uh, do like all these like these things you see people on Instagram doing where they hold themselves up and put the legs up and go back to I have a new project on that shit but it's I do that for 10-15 minutes and then right. my third workout is normally a skill workout if it's I could be heavy bag it could be wall bag it could be dummy pole knife something and I usually do that once I go to the school and so I'll just kind of space it out where it's like maybe my total workout time is an hour and a half but it's every day and and so and it's kind of broken up and, and and I and I can kind of stick it in between all like the regular stuff we have to do every day errands and everything like that rather than going I need to work out for two hours and I don't have and, and I'm worried about this other thing I need to do while I'm working out for two hours I just I break up my workouts into little bits throughout the day and it, it works out it works out really nice and it also means that I don't I don't really uh, get sore so I can keep teaching right. without feeling like like dead you know. Yeah, I, I got a buddy of mine who I, I, I generally consider one of the most physically fit people that I know. Mm -hmm. And um, one day I was talking to him about the, recently talking to him about uh, the workouts that I've been doing and trying to, because of my weight and because of the situation with my leg, which people that know me know the problem with my leg, I have to uh, tweak my workouts and tweak what I do. And he helps me with it. And then he, I said to him, so what do you, you know, what do you do? Like, it's just like half joking. And he said that um, on mornings, he works, he does, he does his warm up every morning. He does a short workout every morning. And I said, oh, okay, so what do you do? He goes, well, on days I know I have my heavy workout, I, I get up and I only do, I do one set of 10 burpees uh -huh. before I get in the shower and I just... It, it helps just set me. Yeah. He goes, and on days I just don't feel like working out and I know I'm not working out, I do five sets of burpees. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's a very smart way to do it. You, you kind of look at what you're going to do later in the day. Like if I know – yeah, same thing. If I know I'm not going to work out later, I'll make those morning sessions more intense and longer and I'll right. just do more, right? And yeah, that, that I mean – it's a much more natural way uh, than saying you're going to do this every day at this time. You kind of play it a little bit by ear. You play it by your energy level and, and, and you make it work. By the way, speaking of performance, so I guess John Jones passed his latest drug test after that fight. Holy right? shit, he passed the test. Go look at that. Yeah, that whole thing's a little bit fishy. I mean, uh, I understand the science. What they found in his system, those picograms, which is like one in – you know, it's a grain of sand on the in in a pool. Right. Um, is He's for, is for a metabolite, which which is not actually the substance itself. It's something that your body produces in reaction to the substance, right? So th that was the thing that people they they did get it. Like in fairness to John Jones, it's not actually the, the you know the the, the that uh, test that with that um, steroid that they found in his system. They found the metabolite 
that reacted to that, which in theory, the other thing is that these tests are getting better and better. So it is possible that um, that last test that he had did find this trace that was from a year and a half ago, the Torina ball or whatever that he took, right? <coughs> but at the right. end of the day, he still took Torina ball, people. <laughs> like, yeah, right, exactly. So I just go like, you know, if if they're going to like make special exemptions for John Jones, why don't they just get rid of USADA? I mean, if everyone is juicing, then it's also a level playing field, right? And if no one is juicing, then it's a level playing field. But if they make exemptions for one or two people who kind of juice to go in there, I kind of feel that's a little bit BS. Now, would John Jones be John Jones without taking any performance? In? I, I think John Jones is an exceptional athlete. I really wish John Jones was like a different person, like his personality, because right. I want to like John Jones because he's just such a dick. He's so good. He's so good at martial arts. He fights so well. I want to like, but every time he opens his mouth, he says some stuff where I just go like, he's he's just such a dick. And every time he gets a second, third, fourth chance, he'll say something where you just go, really? They let him fight after that whole exemption thing. And he still tweeted about like slapping Cormier's wife's ass or something like that. Yeah, like, and I go, you're a scumbag who keeps getting ch You need to stop doing that, right? And like, right. I understand, like Chael Sonnen always talks about like, John Jones, if it was wrestling, he's the heel. But he right, doesn't right. want to be the heel, but he'll sometimes now kind of be the heel, but then will try not to be. It's like, if you're gonna go heel, man, he should go full heel. And he should be like, always like he should always tweet terrible things and be like, "F you, yeah, whatever." They caught me, whatever. Or, but but the problem is he'll still pretend he's not, and then he has like, you know, and then he pretends he's a good Christian who struggles. And look, he's got the tattoo, but he also likes coke. So it it's just it's like, if John Jones had like Cormier's personality, I think I would I would be the biggest John Jones fan. Right. I would just love him to death, but he's just, he's just unlikable. And it kills me because as a martial artist, I look at how he moves, how he, he doesn't have the best boxing in the division, but he knows how to use his body to create the illusion of super good boxing. Right. Right. And sure. He has sure. really good low kicks. He's got fantastic wrestling. He's um, I, as the martial arts side of me is super impressed with John Jones, but every time he opens his mouth, I go like, ugh, ugh I agree, stop. I agree. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, like, and that's why I like Daniel Cormier so much. Yeah, he's me just too. So, like, he's just such a class act. Now, I don't know why I I, I love Daniel Cormier because he's a class act. Hate John Jones because he's a dick. But love Conor McGregor because he's a dick. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I, I I think. Because Conor McGregor embraces... Well, but the, the thing is, Con Conor McGregor doesn't have the congruence problem that John Jones does. Conor McGregor acts the... He, he says the... He talks the way he acts, and, 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 and he acts the way he talks. There's no congruence right. issue. You know what I mean? Right, he's right, unapologetic right. when he's unapologetic. He's apologetic when he feels he makes a mistake. But you don't feel that there's a congruence issue between his public persona and what he's like, even if you know True. he's being a little bit more of a showman. But before right. John Jones had his first major slip-up, 
when he was like when he had defended the belt a couple times before all the stuff with the cocaine and the DUIs and everything came right, out. Right, right. You still had a feeling that this guy was not as advertised. You felt right. that when he talked in the when he talked in the press conferences. And I just feel that anybody and I, I apologize if I offend anybody who have religious tattoos. I just pe- feel that people who need to tattoo religious stuff all over them are kind of trying too hard. It's like, who are you trying to convince, bro? <laughs> like, if you're a good person and you, you're a Christian or whatever, it's like, you can just be that. You don't have to advertise it in a kind of humble brag to other people. Like, I'm such a Christian, I even got it tattooed on me. It's like, why? Because you would forget that you were a Christian if it wasn't tattooed on you, right? And But it was like his, the words and the things that would kind of seep through. You had the feeling this guy is not as advertised. And then all this stuff happened and you were like, Yep, I, I, I guess I was right. That that gut feeling you had, you could trust. But like other fighters, even if they act like a dick, like Chael Sonnen, sometimes right. he's just like such a he's just so over the top. But he's as advertised. You do, there's no congruence issue between Chael Sonnen hamming it up a little bit and what you feel that he's really like. It's one to one. But you just never felt that with certain fighters, and I think that that's why they never, <clears throat> why it's why they were kind of like so unlikable. You know what I mean? Like, um, sure. Even Weidman, who by all accounts is kind of a nice, he was a very unlikable middleweight champion. Like people didn't like him; he wasn't very popular, and he's the dude who beat Anderson Silva twice. But there right, was something right, right. about his post-fight fight speeches. Where it's like he, he didn't endear himself to the audience. He didn't play the heel. And you just felt that it was like he was trying to live up to being the guy who followed Anderson Silva. And he just failed. And so I think it just only makes sense for pe- those people to be real. And just be, you know, be what they are. And, 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 and say what they like. They should be no congruencing. And I think that's what we constantly run into with John Jones. By the way, just as a little side note, do you remember seeing? Did you, did you ever see Shale Sonnen when he was on Law and Order? I didn't. I didn't even know he was on Law and Order. He was on Law and Order. He played a criminal on Law and Order. Really? Yes. And how was he? How was he as an actor? He was fine. I mean, he he was um, and he played. Oh God, what's her name? Whoopi Goldberg's adopted son. No kidding. Whoopi Goldberg played this. Um, Oh, geez, like a foster mom kind of thing uh-huh. who created like a gang out of all her foster sons. Wow. And Shale Sonnen was one of the foster sons that was uh, doing robberies and homicides for her. That's crazy. That's crazy. On an episode of Law and Order. Yeah, you know. And I'm, watch, I'm watching Law and Order one day and I'm saying, Shale Sonnen? Could that fucking possibly be Shale That's super funny. I used to... I used to not like Chael Sonnen because, like, when, around the time when he was uh, fighting Anderson Silva, I didn't like some of the things that he said, even though that was – he's kind of like a WWE performer. And right, right, right. occasionally Chael Sonnen would, like, do these, like, um, YouTube videos where he would um, explain his opinion on something. And the first couple of those that I heard, I didn't agree with him at all. And I just felt like ah, he was kind of a blowhard and I didn't like him. But over the last few years, the more I listen to him, I really like him. He's super intelligent, and he always explains. He's he's got a great little uh, YouTube thing. I don't know if it's his podcast where he he'll talk about current stuff in MMA and he'll give his opinion on like Connor or the John right, Jones sure. thing or whatever. And um, 
he explains his opinions very clearly. Sometimes he says stuff and I don't agree with him at all, but I understand his point of view. It's like when, when someone can explain to you their thought process and you can respect it and understand it without agreeing with it, then I think that person is an effective communicator. And Chael sure. Sonnen, it's like, even when I don't agree with him, I still want to hear what his two cents are, right? And uh, and occasionally he does go off the deep end where I go, ah, oh, man, you even lost me. But, hey, can't be perfect. But, uh, yeah, so but he's somebody who has no congruence issue. And he's also kind of mentioned that about John Jones being John Jones's problem, that this he has this separation, right? And I think... As martial artists, it's a good lesson, you know, like if we want to uh, take something from the martial arts into our everyday lives, it's that I think we should be we should be truthful to ourselves and, and there should be no conflict between what is and, and, and what we want to be. We should we should kind of accept things the way they are, including our own personality and faults. So um, so anyway, so listen, before we uh, get off the air of tonight's episode, yeah. I I have to. If it was any of the fans of this show that ordered me from Amazon.com the Jello shot syringes that came in the mail today, <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, I'm not much of a drinker, <laughs> but it was pretty hysterical. My wife looked at it and she was hysterical laughing. She's like, Jello shot syringes. I mean, how do you know you're old when? Like, I remember Jello shots, but. Jello shots. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a drinker be... at all. I do know Jello shots. Like apparently, the way they're made is a very quick way to get super, super drunk. So what's a Jello shot syringe? It means it's like you just squirt it they in your basically, mouth. Basically, it's it's these syringes that you make gel. Like you make Jello shots in the syringes. So I guess you make a big bowl of Jello shot. Like you make a big bowl. Got it. Use a the syringe and then what, shoot it in your mouth. And then you, you and then yeah, you put them in the refrigerator and then you take the syringe and just shoot it into your mouth. Wow. Sounds like a healthy habit to get involved. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I, I, we can. I'll probably be over at your place next week to watch UFC. We could just put like regular Jello in there. <laughs> right, exactly, right. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, I'm so boring when it comes to that kind of shit. But like, that's a Jello super weird, so random thing for someone to send you. Uh, uh, over over the course of Christmas, some somebody who knows who I am, they addressed it to me, sent me a um. Like a, like a mask, like like a facial mask, and it was for your lips. <laughs> and I don't know who it was. I don't recognize the name. And I go, so somebody apparently thinks I have really <laughs> terrible-looking lips. <laughs> That's hysterical. So anyway, if you're out there, um, thank you <laughs> for that. All right. So, all right, Sean. Well, I guess we'll be talking next week, and uh, happy to be back. Yep. All right, folks. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. 
Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter, too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!